Welcome to On the Other Side, where we talk crypto, culture, and society, and explore what the world might look like on the other side of Web3 adoption. Hello, hello. We are back with another unstructured experimental episode. I got some really great feedback for my episode with Jay, which was kind of this pretty unstructured conversation about a million different things. This time I'm having Tommy from Tally on the show. I got some amazing feedback on the episode with Jay that it was really interesting to cover a bunch of topics, but also that people were craving a little bit more structure. So this is a more structured but still unstructured conversation. And it's actually a follow-up to a tweet that Tommy had about consolidation of DAO tooling, basically suggesting that we would likely see DAO tools start to consolidate kind of suggesting that there would probably be a few key players that emerge in the space that essentially acquire the existing suite of DAO tools and fold them into their current product suite rather than having all of these different DAO tools exist standalone. And I wanted to push back on that and explore what consolidation and acquisition actually might look like in the DAO tooling market. That being said, this, again, is a conversation that is not super structured. It's a little bit windy going all to different areas and covering a bunch of different topics. If this is not the type of conversation that you're interested in, that is totally okay. I would love for you to let me know on Twitter just because I love getting feedback. If this is a conversation that you think is really interesting and you want to see more of this on the podcast feed, I would also love that feedback. A quick note that in the new year, I will be back with weekly episodes that are a lot more like my standard episode, which are a little bit more structured, a little bit more focused. And then these types of experimental episodes will kind of just be sprinkled in. Right now, I'm every other week switching between more experimental and more structured, and I think it's nice to just have a consistent structured episode with some of the more experimental stuff sprinkled in. So I hope you enjoy this episode, and thank you so much for joining me on this journey of the podcast evolving in real time. Before we hop into the show, a quick thank you to the sponsors that make this episode possible. On this show, we talk all about the human side of Web3 and the philosophy around Web3, but when you're ready to get your hands dirty, Rabbit Hole is the place to go. Rabbit Hole curates all of the wildness of Web3 into one simple place where users can go to be directed towards positive sum protocols and build their skill set as they do it. You can check it out at rabbithole.gg. Thank you, Rabbit Hole, for sponsoring On the Other Side. All right, let's hop into the show. So I'm here with Tommy from Tally. Hi. As a follow-up on a a little Twitter debate slash exploration that we were having, which I'm very excited to dive deeper into. I guess before we talk about all this stuff, maybe you can give a little bit of background on you, what you're working on, and then we can dive into the thread that you posted. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm Tommy. I um, am like, I kind of wear a lot of hats at Tally. Me and Frisian, who's my colleague, we are basically the entire uh, content marketing product facing department at Tally. So we do everything from uh, writing docs, creating articles for just like the DAO community in general. Um, we're involved in a lot of DAOs. We create DAOs. We're building stuff on Tally, et cetera. There's, there's a lot we do. Um, so a lot of our time is spent just, you know, thinking about DAOs and thinking about communities and, and DAO tooling. So, um, yeah, that's kind of where my, where my tweet, uh, you know, thought came from. I spent a lot of time at night just like, um, thinking on things. I think just because a lot of, you know, I think a lot of like, um, us in this space 
it's been said over and over again. It's not like an original thought, but it's like, you know, you leave your nine to five and you come to like Web3 and it's a 24-7 job. <clears throat> so like, I think Dan Wu said something like, you know, you're, even if you're not, you know, necessarily working in the space per se, like you're, you're constantly thinking about it. I think that's just like the nature of who's, who's in the space right now. There's a lot of people that are super, super motivated and, and zealous around the ideas of DAOs and decentralization and, and Web3. So that's kind of where this this idea came from. Just because, you know, I work for um, a large DAO tooling company. Um, so I think a lot about like existentially, what does this company look like five, 10 years from now? Um, and what does this space look like as a whole? Yeah. And you have this like really interesting um, thought process, which was what this tweet was, which I will link also in yeah. the show notes. But basically saying, and and I'll let you elaborate on it, but essentially saying like right now there's a huge ecosystem of a bunch of different DAO tools and you're kind of predicting that there's a good possibility that all of these tools ultimately, you know, a few years from now, basically consolidate uh, into a couple key players where these are all kind of like sub-departments or pods. Um, within the bigger players. So I think there's a lot to unpack in that, but maybe <laughs> you can give a little bit of context on it first and then we can start to pick at it a little. Yeah. You know, the, the more I think about it and the more like that this, this was tweeted, I think like two weeks ago, um, and the more conversations I've had, you know, I don't necessarily know if I 100% believe it, but I think that's kind of like, I think the point of the tweet was just kind of spark conversation and see what see what people think. But I mean, I think, and the reason I think I'm starting to not necessarily like hold true to that thesis is um, I'm still working on like getting out of that mindset of like traditional uh, like corporation, corpo like structure and like that consolidation is 100% necessary and needed. And that's just kind of like the path we're on and there's no uh, changing that. But I do think like in some way, like, the consolidation of the tools is just the way it's naturally going to progress just as like funding functions and human capital functions, maybe not necessarily in the way that you would think of it traditionally, which is kind of what I brought up. Like I, I kind of viewed it as like a thinking of it, like we are all one part of one large tech company, call it like web three LLC. <laughs> and uh, um, we all have these siloed, like research and development part departments, which are these DAO tools. And we're kind of experimenting with those DAO tools. Um, and you can kind of think of like the VC traditional funding landscape as like the treasury of that traditional company. And eventually um, these, these tools will converge in one. I think, I mean, you kind of responded on like, what was your response to that? I mean, I know you, you pushed back a little bit on like that traditional sense of consolidation and I kind of agree with you now, but I still think like there will be some type of consolidation, just a matter of what it is. I don't know. Yeah, totally. Like I think, and this is the reason that I want to do a podcast on it too, is not because I think your take is totally wrong either. And obviously, you know, I love things that are written on Twitter as a means of creating conversation. I think that's often more valuable than like this completely true or completely, you know, bulletproof thing. So I think where my brain immediately went was kind of considering like, 
hmm, why would you have consolidation and acquisitions in the traditional world? Why might that make sense in Web3 in some cases? And then like, why might it make less sense? And I think oftentimes acquisitions happen because you either want to like win market share, acquire the technology, or essentially acquire where you're acquiring just to get the team. And the interesting thing about like pretty much all of those pieces, there's like this assumption that there's a moat, which is either a product moat in that like your market share is worth acquiring versus like saying, okay, instead we're just going to try to steal market share or that you have a moat for talent for some reason. And it brought up the question for me, which is like, do moats even exist in Web3 period? And I think that is part of this underlying question. So I'm curious how you think about that. That's a good question. Um, I don't know. I mean, it it seems it's like kind of this existential question, I think, that founders and people like who are in like in this space need to like address because at the end of the day, like we have to make money, right? Like this, that's the end. Like we can't, like if, if it's just like VC funded forever, like it's not possible, right? Like there has to be profitability at some point. So like we all talk about like con- competition versus collaboration and like that, uh, you know, web three kind of blurs the lines between those two, but I think it's also important to like, yeah, those lines are blurred, but the li- like those lines still need to be there. And, and if it means mm-hmm. like one person's going to survive and one's not. Um, do moats exist? I think, yeah. Should they exist? Or what do you think? I don't know. I guess part of it that's interesting is like to what degree. So when, whenever I'm thinking about old models and new models and thinking about like what about web two and the trad world actually applies to web three where it's like, Hmm, we probably don't need to reinvent the wheel versus where are we actually dealing with something that's totally new and different. And when I think about something like acquisition, I think part of the reason my mind goes to moats is just like, I I do think that's fundamentally one of the big questions around this. And so if you boil down this question of like, um, what will consolidation and acquisitions look like? I think ultimately one of the biggest factors there is moats um, that might change that would make it such that Web 2 models actually don't apply in Web 3 in the same way. And I think this is why like my initial sort of thought around your tweet was basically like, I think it's partially true, but I would essentially break it into like two different categories of DAO tools. One where you have basically centralized DAO tooling, so not open protocols, um, but instead these companies that are providing certain services or software to DAOs that are closed source, um, that kind of lock organizations in. And I think we will definitely see consolidation there because that makes sense. Like you can buy market share in a way that would provide more benefits than cost. Um, They're not a DAO, so they might have talent that's a lot harder to get and hire. Um, and so you might have an acquisition just to hire their team. Like, I think we could definitely see that. For decentralized protocols, I don't know. I'm less sold that acquisitions and consolidation will make sense because you could have a vampire attack if you're trying to get market share, which doesn't always work, but there's definitely something there. Um, you can grab data from 
the blockchain, you know, and and um, be able to provide certain types of like services and products on top. Like, I don't know. I, that's kind of where my brain was going with a lot of this stuff. And I don't know the answer, but I do think it's interesting to explore. Yeah, I think like, yeah, there's there's two different kinds. Right? I think that was part of the like the initial tweet, too, is like, you know, you have you still have your traditional like corporations like Tally is, you know. It's not open source right now, not at least. Um, and we do have a little bit of a moat. Um, but I think that they're going to coexist, right? I think, like, I don't, I don't think you, you didn't say that. Um, I think, yeah, you're right about, hold on, let me, let me rethink this. Like, it's kind of like, I'm, I'm kind of struggling to understand Maybe we don't need to understand it. And we'll figure it out. But like, how do how does that how do those centralized players coexist with the decentralized players mm. in the future? Right? Like, can those two coexist? Like, do you think they can? Like, um, I don't know. I'm still struggling mm. to like <laughs> figure out what the answer is to that. If there is like a couple big players making these aqua hires for these tooling companies that aren't open source and have these moats and have market share. And then there's these decentralized tools that DAOs still use. Um, I think they could coexist. I don't know. I think like you, you kind of hinted at it like this. We're thinking of it as this web two system that has traditionally existed. Um, and try to apply that frame, that lens onto how we're operating now. And we're operating at a completely different level. And and then these models don't fit. Mm. Yeah, it's so interesting too, because when I think about the paradigm around balancing and like uh, finding ways to coexist um, as far as centralized and decentralized philosophy and building go, something that comes to mind is Coinbase and the way that they're currently positioned, which I don't know, could be PsyOps, but I don't think it is, where like in response to FTX and even more broadly, Coinbase, I think, has approached the space with this really interesting balance where their core product and the thing that they are providing is definitely centralized it's um, as an exchange, like they don't really have any philosophy that's like, yeah, we want to be decentralized in any capacity as an organization. However, they have Coinbase Wallet, which of course is a product that that is um, non-custodial, like you own your own keys, I believe. But also they've come out with a lot of the FTX stuff. They put like an ad in the New York Times saying like you shouldn't have to trust exchanges, which is interesting as an exchange themselves. They at least have said very publicly that they've been doing a lot of lobbying um, for DeFi and really supporting decentralized protocols. So I don't know. I think there's something really interesting, not just in questioning like how these organizations and tools interact with one another and coexist, but also like we definitely have examples of companies that are kind of playing um, both sides already, which who knows how that's going to turn out. But I do think there's something really interesting there. Yeah, I, I think like I'm thinking of like down the line, right? Like funding, like right now, I kind of mentioned this before, like funding is um, like it's eventually going to like, it's not going to be 
you know, as readily available as it is now, like even in a bear market now, like a lot of these protocols and thousand companies are getting funded pretty easily, um, whether there's a path to profitability or not. So I'm thinking like down the line, like, is it a player like Coinbase or a Dow tooling company that's a little bit bigger, bigger brand name? Like that just is the only like place to go. Like if I'm a down, I'm starting a down. I want to have all these tools. Like, am I going to, is like govern or I don't know any other like Dow tooling company that's helping contributors function and operate in the Dow operate. Um, am I only going to be able to go to like, if think of it in like a web two model, like Shopify, like, yeah, I could go to, you know, a different service provider, but you know, right now, like in, in a web two sense, there's like one or two that I'd really trust to like, like, you know, like a Webflow or Shopify to build a really good product online. And I mm-hmm. think right now in, in the, in the web three world, there's a lot of awesome, like there's a lot of options that are really good with really good teams. Um, but eventually those, those teams are not going to be able to function because either they haven't reached profitability or they're just not getting funded um because funding is gone so then i think mm-hmm. like this is where the, the like thought process on the tweet goes like okay like well what is like thinking two or three years down the line or maybe longer like what does that look like because i don't think like that means the ecosystem dies as a whole i think like we're kind of past that in in regards to like you know DAOs are still going to be around in three to five years maybe they look different but i think we've reached maybe critical maybe people would disagree with this but like i think we've reached kind of like critical mass in in regards to like this movement so then it's like okay you know what does this tooling landscape look like and then if it's like i I don't think it's as easily like i think i agree with you saying like it these decentralized protocols won't consolidate um, or they shouldn't consolidate um but if we if we aren't actively thinking about that and and not allowing you know these bigger players to like like either just copy the product and and take it over um we end up with the traditional like monopolistic landscape that we have now with like traditional tech mm. companies and i don't know maybe you you think or people think that's not possible for these like decentralized protocols to to be like you know copy and pasted because of like current usage and market share. But I I think to think that way is maybe a little bit naive. And if we're not thinking mm. about it and thinking of ways to to stop that from happening or to like build a better system, then then we end up in the in the same place that we started from, which is why this whole thing exists in the first place, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting too, because like, so if we assume that certain companies will have funding dried up, um, but let's say that they do have product market fit where actually a lot of organizations use them, the underlying assumption there would be that despite having the adoption that you would need to succeed, you don't have the business model or funding to or like funding mechanism to make your business sustainable where you can continue to pay for you know engineers to be doing research or if you're a centralized service something as simple as AWS costs whatever that might be my brain immediately goes to what i would consider like a third option so we have option number 1 die option number 2 consolidation option number 3 is I would say one of the more unique 
situations, uh, particularly as it pertains to like the Web 2 versus Web 3 paradigm, which is that if (laughs) – I think public goods get used (laughs) in an interesting way in Web 3 because – like an economist would come in and say some of the things that we call public goods are not public goods. I think Kevin Owaki would, of course, have um, a different way, I think, of framing certain public goods. But there is an interesting world in which a lot of these tools actually become public goods. Um, and much like, I guess, open source software, which is, of course, a Web 2 paradigm, um, or at least a paradigm that existed before Web 3, you actually end up having the organizations that are relying on certain tools, funding the continual either AWS bills or development required to keep those protocols or tools afloat, which is kind of interesting. Um, and I guess if you can't find an organization that's willing to do that, well, then you you probably do have an instance of something that despite having some level of you know, acceptance and use by certain organizations, they don't find enough benefit from it to justify the cost, which I think is a different conversation. But I do kind of wonder where like public goods and um, things like quadratic funding and retroactive public goods funding play a role here too, because I, I do think that that can change up some of these dynamics. Yeah. I mean, I feel like so much of it is just like, we don't know. And it's just going to be like, <laughs> I don't know, like, like, yeah. I mean, that's like all, like all my conversations with Frisian is my colleague. Like, we just talk about this a lot. Like, we just have, like, we talk every day just for hours about this stuff. Like, at the end of every conversation, it's like, well, we don't know. Like, we're just going to figure it out in a year from now or two years from now. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it is kind of <laughs> funny because... Like recently, a lot of the conversations that I've been having on the podcast and outside of it where we're in a space where it's like, okay, we don't know the answer, but we know that if things go a certain way, it could be bad, which Mm -hmm. I think in your case, when you're highlighting consolidation and um, the creation of sort of like DAO tool monopolies, that that is bad. Like I think that's an outcome that's not good. Something that every time I come back to when that is a potential option is this idea of coming from like a values-based place where instead of trying to predict the future or avoid certain outcomes or, you know, postulate about the 87 different ways that something could go, one of the core things is just being like, okay, well, as we navigate this, what values feel like a sort of guiding set of values? And I think in this instance – Um, something that comes to mind for me that I'm thinking through is like, okay, well, why are monopolies bad then? Because if if the goal is like, okay, cool, the only way to navigate this is to be values-based and make sure that we as an industry are enforcing um, the right types of decisions and consolidation that's only beneficial for the industry, blah, blah, blah. That kind of forces you to the point where you're like, okay, well, what about a monopoly is bad that we would want to avoid? Because I think that tells us a lot about what values we want to hold true. So I'm curious how you think about that. Yeah. So are you asking like, what do I think is bad about monopolies? Yeah. If, okay. if, let's say if we take it to the worst case scenario where all there are like three Dow tooling companies, what about that would be bad? Yeah. That's a good question because I, I, I get what you're getting at in regards to like what matters more importantly is the way the 
if the monopoly is not inherently bad, if it's operating like in, in the, in the, you know, best, best interests of the community as a whole. Right. Which I think goes against, it's not inherently bad, right? Like that's not bad. Monopolies aren't bad. Cancel me. I don't care. But (laughs) um, it's the corruption that is enabled by monopolies, right? Without any checks. So Mm. It, go, it goes to what you're saying, like, well, if we focus on the values of, like, why we're here and, and what we're doing, right, like, it shouldn't matter. But I think it's it, that, like, the monopolization and, like, consolidation of these tools is so anti, like, it's so anti the entire, like, Web3 ideals of, like, decentralization and trustlessness and immutability. Like, it doesn't make, it, it feels so counter to like everything this entire industry is built on which is like you know on-chain reputation and and like don't trust verify and i think we're seeing a lot of that with like i mean recently like with obviously ftx but just all the scams in general so i mean yeah monopolies we're, we're trying to protect from corrupt behavior right like price gouging not protecting the consumer um Hey, stop, stop crying. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, like we we all know like bad monopol- monopolistic behavior. Like I think the biggest thing we're seeing right now with that is like Apple with their 30% tax on everything. I don't know if you saw like Coinbase put out today, like how they were not able to, um, they had to remove their NFT feature on their app mm. because of, Apple's trying to take 30% of the gas fee for for any mm-hmm. transaction on an NFT, which is like if you're listening to this, obviously you know like that's not how NFTs work and you can't like, <laughs> you can't take 30%. Like it's not like Coinbase isn't getting our money, but like stuff like that. I think that's a really good example of something that could happen as it relates to like how like that is so counter, that mindset of like we are going to extract maximum or 30% value from every possible thing. Um, you attach that to something like a transaction on a blockchain it just doesn't work, right? So, yeah, like the, now I'm thinking about it, like I'm gonna say consolidation almost like maybe is not even possible, right? If mm-hmm. if we're building these these tools and systems on the values that we actually preach and adhere to, which I mm-hmm. think goes to the question of like how do we do that, like? I think look like looking back at the bull run in like August and around all that time, like there was like things went very bad when these people were put into power. Mm-hmm. Right? Like how do we stop that from happening? And can we? You know what I'm mm. you know what I'm asking? Mm-hmm. I think a value that isn't obvious in crypto, but that I think actually is like underpinning a lot of the values that we do hold true and also that make monopolistic markets so bad is the ability to have multiple options. To your point, like any power or structure that is monopolistic has the ability to abuse it, even if you have a protocol that is fully decentralized, which never happens. Like you don't actually have perfect decentralization ever, of course. But let's say even if you do, like if you have one protocol that does everything, even that is not really healthy for that protocol because it basically becomes bureaucratic and without competition 
um, ends up becoming this like really either inefficient or um, not innovative like protocol. And so I think this idea of like plurality, whether that be of protocols or of leaders even, I mean, the ability to have lots of different leaders of exchanges alone has created interesting checks and balances over the last couple of months. Um, And so I wonder if like some of this kind of comes down to the idea that you always want to have plurality of protocols and and centralized protocols and decentralized protocols um, and eat staking clients. Like that that I do wonder if that's like one of the core pieces here that actually kind of gets under discussed sometimes in crypto. Yeah. I just think I go straight to like, well, how do how do we make sure that exists forever? Right. Not forever, mm. but you know, like and I, I just go back to funding. And I think like I talk to so many like and I think you do too, like just like the best of the best in the space, like idealistic, like thinkers that are just pushing us forward and doing amazing work. Um, so I get, a, I, I get a lot of that, but I, I think I try to counter it with like some realism, not that those mm. things aren't going to work, but just like, okay, well, what's the, like, what's the five to 10 year plan of sustainability? Like how does this last forever? Um, mm. Cause I want it to last forever. I want this. I want this to work, and I want this space to be as successful as possible. But it's like, um, is it like right now? It just feels like everything, besides a few large protocols, like is just venture funded, um, and we're waiting for uh, either the time to run out and like the clock to strike twelve, or you know, you find profitability. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's kind of what I come back to in all of this. Um, and I'm by no means like some expert economist or like thinker, you know, <laughs> young and I'm just learning, but like that's what I keep coming back to. Yeah. There's also there's something interesting about saying how do we make this work for five or ten years? And there's also something interesting about saying how do we let a bunch of these experiments die when they need to die? Because I feel like yeah. sometimes we really don't we don't embrace death enough in crypto. <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. Projects are going to there have been so many projects over the last even like five years, which is not the entirety of the space or even Ethereum really, um, that were basically the same as projects that are succeeding today. So and I think this is true in startups more broadly, but like mm-hmm. timing does matter a lot in the space. And I think there is something interesting about allowing projects to try what they're doing, die, and still think, hmm, that idea might work in five years. It just didn't work right now. Yeah. I was talking to Aaron from Governors today, and he was like, like, DAOs should be ephemeral in nature. Like, they, sh- they sh- that should be the standard. Like, we're not expecting these things. And I think that, like, me saying, oh, this should last five to ten years, it's going back to, like, me getting caught up in that mindset of, like, there's this one structure that exists forever and it is a mm. corporation and the corporation will outlive us all. Like again, that is not <laughs> we're like we're completely f- like flipping it, right? The the structure has been flipped. Mm-hmm. So like Yeah. So like DAOs as DAOs as structures that are not meant to last forever. And that doesn't mean the goal is not trying to be achieved. It just means, you know, it, it puts the 
the emphasis on the contributor and the individual, which is, is I mm. think, for me at least, why I love this space so much is because it's like everything I do here is completely based on myself and my reputation and, and what I can do, not what I've, you know, not what my education is or where I come from. Um, mm. I think that's something that's, that's the best part of every, all of this in my opinion. So if, if we're, like you said, if we're focusing on like not focusing, but like if we're letting these projects die, that's not necessarily like a negative for the space. You know, that's just the way like life works in general. Mm. And like as long as we are like maintaining um, opportunities for people and contributors to feel enabled and feel empowered to, you know, create and do what they want and have access to funding. I think that's the most important part, right? Like, changing from trying to like maximize profitability for the corporation and and switching it to maximizing not necessarily profitability for the individual but just like happiness and joy and like feeling fulfilled with your work and connections within the space right like that's how I like to think about it and that's why I think I love working here so much I don't know I'm kind of like I think this is the point of like this body. Like I'm kind of like processing these thoughts in real time. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry if they don't fit. They're not like super. Well no, that is, that is the, the vibe of this podcast. I think that's really interesting. And I think also like something interesting here is the dynamic too, is like as much as I, I don't disagree on the um, like corporations trying to live forever and maybe we have new models. There's also something interesting about like, you know, Jacob Horan's essay on hyperstructures suggests yeah. that these things should live forever. And so there's definitely like a, I don't know, I don't want to say a divide between how people think about it because I don't think everything needs to be hyperstructure. But I do think there are some interesting nuances that we as an industry haven't really figured out when it comes to time horizon and and all of that stuff. And I don't think it's one or the other. I think it's probably both. But it is pretty interesting. And Ultimately, when I think about like this idea of being able to find meaning in the work that we do, and and that's definitely something to me that also feels really unique about this space. Um, you know, oftentimes when humans love something, they don't want to let it die. So there's something really interesting too about this question around like, I don't think we're in this. I don't know if we're ever going to get into this, but this like post-capitalist type model where there's something beyond capitalism, even something like funding public goods, I think is actually like a little bit post-capitalist because it's saying like economically this didn't work, but we're going to continue to give it resources anyways because we want it to live on and we want it to be a service that we can leverage. Um, That alone is interesting because it's like a traditional company would say, listen, the books say we can't continue to do this. Like it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. what happens. We can't, can't keep making this, this thing live. And in this world where like things could be public goods and people love the work that they're doing, like you don't really have that excuse to end something. And so I don't know, there's a really interesting dynamic there too. Yeah. Um, Like that makes me just think about like, we're playing it. It's playing out on such a small scale right now. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, I know we always talk about like early, I hate saying it, but like (laughs) 
not even like just from like a pure like human capital standpoint i think a lot of us and i think about this a lot i think we all love everything right now because we are all basically the same right like we we are all mm-hmm. like we've all like this this ecosystem is kind of like you self-selected and you get self-selected out if you're a grifter or you're a mercenary or you're just here because you want to you know you heard about it from the bull run right Mm-hmm. Um, so just thinking about like, I think right now it's the time to think about it because it is like super quiet and it is just the people that are really here for the long term, like in the bear market, it's the, it's to think about like, okay, well, what happens when we onboard a million, a hundred more million people? Like, mm-hmm. how, like how does, like if the, these systems are going to get tested, right? They're going to get stress tested, um, and I'm, I'm honestly quite nervous to see what happens when, when we do that, because like just looking at like last August to December and all the shit that came from that and all the like fallout from that, we're still seeing like what happens when it's that times a hundred. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. I think we generally right now also, there's like a weird dynamic between viewing everything as an experiment, which everything always is, with this idea that this does have an impact on people's lives. And particularly when we're dealing with something like money, where the the people who I think are designing these systems um, have no way of understanding everyone's relationship with money and way that they're going to engage um, rationally or not with a lot of these systems that we're creating. And so there's like a really interesting dynamic here too between how much do we try to onboard people and play around with new experiments and also acknowledge that the actions that we, even as a small group of people, take have real consequences for people. Um, And I think that's a really big challenge more broadly. This is also why I think like we really – I think personally need to do some internal reflection on the types of systems that we've built because it still stands that if you don't have a decent amount of discretionary income or discretionary spending like potential, crypto does suck. And also you're probably going to get burned and never want to come back. And I think a lot of people who are in this space and either get, you know, a salary to be in this space or have made money from like buying ETH or whatever can't fully understand what it means to spend even like a hundred bucks on ETH and then have it go to like a very small percentage of that. Like, I don't know. I think there are a lot of dynamics that we just ignore that we really need to be thinking more clearly about too. Like, what do you, like, what do you think this is a solution to that then? Like layer two? <laughs> I, I think, I think something like layer twos are definitely helpful. I often think back to Vitalik's stance on, uh, ETH ETFs, where like he's basically saying uh, institutional investors are not ready to have exposure to ETH at scale. And I think that probably still stands as true for a lot of the ecosystem, as much as we don't like to hear it and as much as we're pushing for adoption. I think things like token weighted voting, like definitely aren't the best version of this, this system. And I kind of feel like we need to. I don't want to say keep to ourselves, but 
minimize the amount that we're forcing this stuff on other people or maybe I shouldn't say it like that. Minimize the amount that we're <laughs> like – I don't even know what the right words no, are. I know but you I know what you mean. Inviting people in under the guise that this stuff is all totally democratic and all that stuff and instead say this is an experiment and honestly like not – I'm not saying don't put in like what you can't lose or whatever to be like – you know, not financial advice. I am telling people like literally do not put in a dollar more than you are not fine with being zero. So I don't know. I think there's like an interesting balance there. And I, I do kind of think we need to self-police a little bit um, to actually figure out some of this shit before we see mainstream adoption, which of course is antithetical to so many of the VC um, business models and ways that people are expecting to see returns over the next few years. But I feel like our growth does kind of need to be limited in some ways, or at least other people's downside exposure to our stupid experiments needs to be limited. Yeah. yeah. That's something I almost never hear. And I think it, like, I think because people don't want to hear it. Um, but also it's mm. like, you need to have that medicine in order to like make shit that's going to last. Like we can be at the casino, but like at the, like at a certain point you're gonna have to leave and like, mm. What, like what's going to happen? Do we, do we want this to be, you know, a trip to the casino or do we want this to be like a lifelong like ecosystem that thrives mm -hmm. and is, is amazing to be a part of? And I think, yeah, that's something I've kind of like had to address to myself or address within myself as I like, um, like, talk to my friends outside of the space about um especially those who are not so much the ones that are like completely not interested but the ones that are kind of interested and want to get in um i think the best thing we can do not only from like self-policing our own selves within the space but also like how we treat you know like you know everyone at least you know, one person who's like semi-interested in the mm. space, right? It's important to like go the extra mile with them, take the time mm -hmm. to educate them um, because, you know, that's going to have a, a massive exponential effect if we all just, you know, do that with one or two people, right? I think mm. the biggest example is uh, like I, I talked to my friend like three or four months ago tangentially like about crypto and and getting getting him involved and he doesn't want to be like super hands-on but he wanted to be exposed and uh he ended up like putting like a like 20k of his money into ftx and i had i didn't know he had done mm. that so then he, he messaged me like a couple weeks ago when it all went down and he's like am i am i fucked and i'm like well like maybe so <laughs> we got uh we he got and a long story he he got it he got his money. I, he withdrew it. But Good. I was just like, yo, like this is on me, dude. I should have been like more um, upfront and intentional with you, like teaching you about how to self-custody your own funds and who to trust and who not to trust, et cetera, mm. et cetera. And like, you know, at the end of the day, like he didn't get hurt. Like everything was fine. But, you know, what happens to like, I don't think that's I think that is the minority. Like what happens to the majority mm. of people who mm. do get burned? Not only have we lost someone who could have been part of the system, but now we've actively created someone who is anti the system, right? Anti crypto, mm. anti web three, um, which is, I think something we don't really think about. Like um, we're fighting a narrative already, like just from the beginning. Um, 
if we're actively creating more enemies, you know, mm. outside of the like Dradify world, like that's a different story, but just like, you know, your normal friends, which is, I think like, that's the path to adoption long-term. Um, mm. we, you know, we can't be doing that, but I think you're right. Like, I don't think uh, we're anywhere close to being able to like <laughs> onboard, you know, a majority of people just because we're nowhere near ready. And I think, yeah, Vitalik is, is usually one of the best people to, you know, kind of temperature check, you know, where, where mm-hmm. the of that as a whole, which is pretty impressive that like, you know, we should cherish him <laughs> as long as we can. Oh my God. Um, yeah. Like for someone as influential and uh, wealthy and powerful as he is, maybe he wouldn't say he is that. Um, but yeah. He's a wonderful steward of the ecosystem. And I think we're very lucky to have a few early people in this ecosystem, Satoshi, Vitalik, like these people who acknowledge that if they are seen as the kings of the ecosystem, the ecosystem will fail. And I'm always so impressed by that and impressed by his ability to constantly sort of like almost treat this ecosystem like a garden where he's pulling some weeds, he's helping put some pressure on things without being too over um, overlord-like. And I think like ultimately what a lot of this comes down to and just like reflecting on the bear market as we close this out, like I think it's funny, not funny, it's interesting to look back at the ways that a lot of people were sold on crypto over the last year, like board apes and you can flip NFTs and make money and all this stuff. And I do think that people who come in for profit can always be sold on the values of the ecosystem and decide to stay. But I feel like what a lot of this really comes down to for me personally is thinking about the fact that like if we can onboard people from a values perspective, help them understand what we're doing, even people who have been burned by something like FTX, I think there is an opportunity to say, you know, the whole reason that that happened is actually something that's totally antithetical to what we're working on in crypto and Web3 and DeFi. And I'm so sorry that that happened and that, you know, I didn't help educate you on these risks. When you're ready, there is a point where like there are other aspects of this ecosystem that are actually precisely to solve this problem. Um, And so I'm very hopeful about the future of what it looks like to bring people into the ecosystem. Um, But I think it's definitely going to be a matter of not fucking ourselves over in the meantime and giving everyone a bad taste in their mouth around crypto. And I'm, Keeping my fingers crossed that we can yeah. keep our shit together in in that yeah. time frame. Yeah, I think yeah. Like, I'll end with this. Like, I think like ninety eight percent of my friends, if there were uh, opportunities that let me let me leave. So okay, like I said, we we are all pretty much the same at this current point. Like we've kind of self selected in. We're all very similar people, like self starters, early adopters, you know, trailblazers wanting to like ride this idealistic wave of like blockchain tech and Web three, and you know, power to the contributor, power to the individual. Um, but like we've this talked this whole time, like it's it's very early and very raw, and a lot of things like it's just like very like the ground is very shaky right now i firmly believe if we can like make that foundation super super firm and super stable and i don't know what that looks like which is assume we do i firmly believe like 
in, at least in my life, like 99% of my professional colleagues and friends would easily uh, leave their current traditional Web2 structure or traditional structure and uh, move to this, you know, more decentralized remote structure where it's, you know, it's en- enabling them to uh, feel more empowered and, and you know, accrue more value to themselves. So yeah, it, it, at the end of the day, it's just, you know, we need to build better systems. We need to police ourselves to be able to build that system. I think, you know, we're, we're we have the, like the path to get there, but that's extremely hard to do. Uh, and I'm not sure how we do it, but I'm excited regardless. We'll get there somehow. <laughs> somehow. We can keep the the hive mind of values, at least in somewhat of the right space, then I think we're on the right track. For but sure. We will see. Well, Tommy, this was so wonderful. Thank you for coming on the show. Where can people find you and learn more about the work that you're doing? Yeah, uh, I'm on Twitter at Tommy Lauer. It's spelled lower, L-O-W-E-R. Um, you can find uh, our work at Tally, um, at Tally XYZ. We didn't even really say what Tally was. Tally is just like a DAO operations platform. So it is basically like kind of Shopify for DAOs. You, anything you want to do, uh, start, run, join, vote, everything. Um, check us out at tally.xyz. Uh, also, I run a DAO called Content Guild, which is just a... Uh, basically a guild for DAO content creators. So if you want to, you know, write or produce any DAO content, we have a pretty well-funded treasury from Tally. Um, and we're just helping fund independent writers. So at content guild XYZ, at Tally XYZ, and then at Tommy Lauer. That's where you can find me. Beautiful. Love it. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you. If you like what you heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast. I always forget to do this for podcast day like, but it's actually super useful. Also, if anything resonated with you or if you want to continue the conversation, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Chaser Chapman. I absolutely love talking about these things. Thanks again for listening.